0: From Hollywood, it's rated LGBT radio, starring your host, Rob
1: Watson!
0: And hello, hello, hello to all of our listeners. Um, We are thrilled to have you aboard. Uh, We have another hour set up for you today that uh, will take you to the outer reaches of the LGBTQ scene. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about film, and uh, film as in movies, and uh, we have a really, really exciting guest, and we're going to be talking about um, a brand new movie that you should track down and watch. Um, Our guest today, is going to be Ray Murray and Ray Murray is like the Louis B. Mayor of LGBTQ independent films. And actually that's probably even limiting because the films that he, um, has been at the head of and, and in distributing and bringing to the world in various facets, um, goes beyond just the LGBTQ experience. But, um, He has quite the pedigree, quite the background, um, and was bringing films to us uh, probably in an age when not many other people, if any other people, were. So um, he's he's quite the groundbreaker. He is currently president of Artsploitation Films, um, and they are distributors of some incredibly intriguing artistic mind-blowing pieces of work. Um, He is the author of the book Images in the Dark, an encyclopedia of gay and lesbian film and video. Um, And he is also the past president of TLA Entertainment, of which he was in charge of for over 30 years. And uh, TLA um, operated cinemas, um, video stores, film distribution, um, just touched so much for so many years. And in all of that, he also founded the Philadelphia International Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. So um, he has been bringing us thought-provoking entertainment, um, exploring our world for quite some time. Um, I, I also, um, today, I want to pay a, a a brief tribute um, to uh, Naya Rivera, who passed away. Naya played um, Santana on the show Glee. She was a landmark um, actress, and uh, the role was landmark in its portrayal um, on the the mass media level of um, a Latinx woman who is bisexual, um, and exploring her sexuality, and she did it with such strength and inspiration and talent and inspired so many young women um, uh, through that portrayal. And um, she is just uh, beautiful um, and epitome of a mom who lost her life. And according to the, the um, people on the scene there, Uh, lost her life in a really heroic effort to get her son back on board the boat they were in um, and probably used all of her strength doing that, saving him, uh, before she lost her life by drowning. Um, Mm -hmm. She's going to be just completely missed and um, just a talent lost way, way too soon. Mm -hmm. Um, with that, uh, I want to bring on my esteemed co-host, um, the renowned journalist, Brody Levesque. Barodi, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Rob.
1: Good afternoon, good morning, and good day to all of our listeners around the globe. We appreciate you very much uh, downloading our podcast and giving us a listen. We appreciate all of our uh, wonderful guests that have been on the show. We've been so honored. Uh, and it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, to follow up on what Rob said, uh, my colleague uh, Kate Sozen, over at NBC News uh, did a piece that's out today, and it's The brutal Death of Rita Hester in 1998, which inspired the movement for uh, recognition uh, and culminated with instant in International Transgender uh, Day of Remembrance. Um, the legacy has been cemented, as Kate writes, but her name has largely been forgotten. Uh, and if you go over to mbcnews.com, the title of the article is Everybody Knew Rita, Decades Later, Still No Answers in the Slaying of a Black Trans Woman. And I highly recommend uh, you folks uh, check out Kate's reporting. It's uh, excellent, as always. Um, as we start through the end of another week, uh, we are looking at now 24 uh, states that have incredibly Horrible, horrible uh, numbers of COVID-19 cases. Uh, some states like Florida, Arizona, and Texas uh, literally setting daily records in the amount of cases uh, on new infections of the COVID virus. In California, uh, over 30 of the 58 counties in the state are now starting to dial back some of the uh, plan-based reopenings as the virus literally starts to uh, increase the hospitalization uh, rates, although the mortality rate for now has remained relatively stable. Experts have said that that shouldn't be a good sign. That should be taken as a cautionary note. I had a conversation briefly with Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, two days ago uh, in regards to the overall numbers and reporting, and the one thing that Dr. Fauci, uh, who's head of the infectious disease unit, at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, said to emphasize, and I'll emphasize that again to all of our listeners, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. It literally, <laughs> literally may save your life. Um, in terms of uh, other news around, uh, Rob, it's uh, a little tough right now with the campaigning going back and forth. President Trump has been leveling attack after attack after attack, not only just on uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats. Uh, He's also, his White House has now uh, literally gone after Dr. Fauci himself. Um, And we got wind today that the Trump administration is now refusing to process new applications for uh, for DACA, which is a Deferred Childhood Protection Program uh, for immigrants who were brought to this country as children. And this is despite last month's Supreme Court ruling that we had stated, Uh, the program so lawyers uh, so lawmakers on the hill and advocates of course uh, are doing their best uh, to try and counter that and again with the this administration you know it's just become uh, one of these things where there's no bottom (laughs) it continues to get bad, and there's just you know that's really at the end of the day yeah one of the things that the president's been pushing hard on And here in California, we now have most of our school districts, including the nation's second largest school district, uh, the Los Angeles uh, Unified School District, saying they're not going to open classes for at least the first half of the year or first semester uh, due to the fact that, you know, they can't guarantee anyone's safety uh, in terms of the COVID crisis. I should note that we're talking about more than just the students. We're talking about the lunch ladies, the janitors, the bus drivers, the teachers themselves, administrative staff. So, uh, you know, LAUSD, the San Diego and so many other school districts are saying no. Well, today from the podium during the briefing, uh, the White House press secretary said the science should not stand uh, in the way of this, and this was on the president's push to reopen schools. So there's the, there's the White House for you. Um, right. Brody,
0: I want to uh, ask you. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I I want to ask you. There was a change this week in terms of the information gathering. Um, It was taken out of the hands of the CDC, and the information is now being taken up by the White House itself, uh, which is, to me, at the face of that, sounds pretty scary, given how. Uh, They've turned into nothing more than a propaganda machine. Uh, What is your take on that as a journalist?
1: Well, not only has the White House uh, taken away the direct reporting of data points to CDC uh, and turned it over to HHS and buried it within that bureaucracy, but then they also cleared all the data off of the CDC website. Uh, we We, meaning those of us in the press corps, went in yesterday to take a look. The data's gone. It's not there. Um, the White House press secretary today claimed that there would be you know, data available for use by the press, the public, and scientific community, uh, including those that have been tracking the COVID uh, crisis and data points, uh, and it would be made readily available. But we don't know where readily available is at this point, uh, except somewhere buried in the HHS bureaucracy, but certainly not resident with CDC where it has been. And it has been easily accessible not only to those of us in the press corps, but also to people that are tracking these cases uh, and trying to figure out what's going on with working models of COVID. So, um, and, and again, overall, for appearances' sake, quite frankly, this looks like uh, that data is being politicized by the White House. Uh, so once again, here we have the White House uh, making a political issue out of something that, quite frankly, shouldn't be.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, scary, scary stuff. Well, now we're going to shift gears from the the news of the day um, to to film, and uh, with that, I want to bring on um, our special guest today. Um, like I said, he has really been at the forefront of bringing us films for quite a, a while, and um, we need to thank him for it. Ray, welcome to the show. Um, wow you, you what was it like when you started out i mean i my my own take on it was that there wasn't a lot of the kind of films available without your efforts um is that an accurate statement
2: well uh, it's a little more complicated And the i kind of really started in the 70s and 80s uh, working in a repertory cinema and there were gay lesbian films but they were by and large uh Either negative portrayals or they were films, international films. So something like uh, Boys in the Band or The Killing of Sister George, two of the biggest, I right. guess, of, of the films of that era. They didn't depict a very positive portrayal. But then over the years, especially the 80s, a lot of uh, it started to change. And there were, especially in the United States, independent filmmakers starting to make um, queer cinema. And, uh, and that's kind of when I started. I was still running a cinema, but then we started running a film series and called it the Gay Lesbian Film Festival and kind of launched it there in the mid-'80s. So we didn't think it was like uh, that. But when you look back, it, it seems pretty early in the time to, to start that.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, because nowadays you go onto the streaming services, Netflix and Hulu, and they have a whole LGBTQ kind of genre section. Many of your films you know, are, are from, from the past are there. Um, and, um, you know, younger people, uh, plus, you know, LGBTQ films and, films and TV shows have uh, become more mainstream. We just mentioned Glee, um, you know, and obviously Ryan Murphy, pretty, pretty much everything he does. Um, and I think younger people don't remember that time when it just, you weren't, you weren't going to just, fall into it like you can now
2: oh no it was very different i I remember going to new york city even and i was in line for a gay lesbian film festival and cars were driving by screaming out fag and stuff like that and this is new york in the 80s so uh times have changed amazingly over the years
0: yeah so um you're you're currently president of Art Exploitation Films and um, you're distributing films. What um, and I love the description of your distribution group. Um, tell us more about the um, the brand of uh, oh, Exploitation. Sure. Well, it came out of
2: uh, I sold TLA uh, about seven years ago, and its distribution wing was primarily gay male cinema, and that was my life for. Many, many years. So um, when I sold that, I started up a new company, but I wanted to get out of that a little bit. So I ended up focusing more on international genre films, strange films, kind of controversial movies uh, with a few gay lesbian titles in there, but primarily just anything that I liked and that were kind of in the genre world not it's there's horror but not uh, an emphasis on horror more on strange right groundbreaking
0: yeah just super um, super intriguing stuff yeah um and and even the in the depictions of sexuality uh it it seems a lot of the work seems to be more of a fluid sexuality than pure play you know gay or pure play straight i mean it's like there seems to be characters that are pressing things that are not in an easy box yes and that's where
2: the beginning of gay cinema it was mostly coming out stories or first love very simple tales of of like kind of dealing with being gay and as the genre has kind of matured all kinds of storytelling so that now, some of the films, and when you were saying Fluid, I was thinking of a film called "Dare Samurai" that we distribute where uh this straight laced policeman who's probably a closet case is trying to uh, capture a a cross dressing sword wielding killer and um but it's it's kind of filled with sexuality in that. He's attracted to this guy and everything. And it's just kind of, it's not a story of gayness, but it's, it's drenched in queerness.
0: Right. How do you feel the the films that you have been involved with, how they sort of at an arm's length uh, are the, the tail that wags the dog of mainstream um, filmmaking. And, And the reason I'm asking that is that probably one of the ones that came out in the last, two years or so was love Simon, which was exactly what you just described as um, characteristic of movies that you've been touching for decades. And then what they
2: do, they get the the Hollywood or professional treatment and it's not controversial and, and the world's kind of changed a bit so they can accept this and, and non gays can watch the film and not be threatened. Um, there was an old adage that the moment that you see two men kissing, you know, it's you've lost the date crowd and it just becomes a gay film no matter what. So it's changed a lot with that, especially the younger generation. They see these movies and they just watch them and, and they identify because their friends are queer. And it's like, it's not a big issue where years ago it was a completely different. uh, You kind of sought these films out and kind of, it was a little bit, you know, they weren't, At all in the mainstream
1: Um if you don't mind Rob let me interject because I have a question for Mr. Murray sure uh Mr. Murray One of the films That you were directly Involved with Um back in the day with TLA Was a film that touched On bullying it touched on Conversion therapy it touched On first love it touched On the dynamics of Relationships uh within and without the LGBTQI plus community. Uh, and I'm speaking of course of the 2003 film latter days. And oh, yes. um, it seems to me that, and, and I'm looking through your catalog and, and, and quite frankly, this was the first movie from your releasing company that I became aware of you folks. And I actually started looking for your catalog because of the eccentricities of that particular motion picture. Um The most recent film, which we'll probably talk about or Rob will get to here in a minute, um, kind of falls within the same type of thing in a different way, though. Um, What attracts you to these kind of films? What attracts you to these storylines? Because these are very complex. And and for this particular film that I'm speaking of now, Latter Days in 2003, that was a pretty big deal because this was – way before the end of Don't Ask, Didn't Tell, the way before the end of Doma, and quite frankly, before we had the rise of the movement uh, or even you know the National March on Washington, which I believe was one through the third National March. This was in between the second and the third one. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, because I'm intrigued, because you seem to have an eye for these films that are very complex. These are not just straightforward, and, and don't take this the wrong way. Gay films. I mean, these these things have rather intricate plots and intricate themes. Yes, uh, especially Latter Days, which ended up finding a huge
2: audience. Surprisingly, um, it's about a Mormon and a party boy fall, falling in love, and it's much more complex than that. But that's just the quick thing of it. Um, and uh, what attracts me is that well, one back then I would go out to. To california i meet the producers and you talk to them and and um many times we would put in the finishing monies for the films that we we liked and um because it wasn't deemed film back then so um but we when we see something and we say oh, this will hit our audience really well that's when we go in with it um latter days was helped also um on the day it was supposed to be released uh, a movie theater in salt lake city um canceled the engagement and it that caused a nice little controversy which inadvertently helped the film <laughs> so, and uh, and it became like the battle there because they didn't want anything to do with the the mormon controversy there so um but that film especially uh it hit a nerve on people because it's one it was this one way it's a simple love story with really opposites attracting but it's also about overcoming lots of obstacles in your way to finding love and finding acceptance and and that really hit a spot on so many people back then that were still struggling to in their own little you know way well i think today
1: too ray that if you look at the discussions we're having now about conversion therapy, because as you know, that has come to the forefront. We now have 13 states that have outright banned it. We have two more that are thinking about it internationally. Now we're getting countries to ban the thing. And of course, part of the subplot of the film had to deal with one of the leads, uh, the Mormon kid being forced through, you know, a form of conversion therapy because, you know, the parents decided he was broken, needed to be fixed, which obviously he did not. But this is in 2003. So I, I just find it interesting. And as I look to the rest of your catalog, uh, that, that you seem to, quite frankly, be able to be a little pissant about what films are going to touch chords with audiences, but still have staying power. Latter day still has staying power to this day for some of the very same reasons that when it was released in 2003. Oh, yeah, I think it's, it's
2: one of the gay classics now, I think. Um, cause it's just kind of the universality of the story, because it just kind of hits. Um, and the, the writer, director, C.J. Cox, who was most famous for writing Sweet Home Alabama, um, he was Mormon, and he actually went through a conversion therapy, so,
0: mm. um, and gay.
2: So uh, it really was a personal story that he put down in, on, into film.
0: It's funny with that film because even besides the lamb breaking subject matter and everything else, it had such um, interesting production uh, values. The music from it, I still listen to the music from that film. Wow. I have it on my iPod. That's it's great. like it's got some classic stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you kind of in a more generic sense because you had mentioned about how when a film uh, featured or, or showed a uh, male-on-male kiss, that automatically the film went to a, a gay label. Um, it, one of the things that I've always been intrigued with um, in the film industry, and your film seem to kind of ignore this, but um, it's still kind of present in mainstream films, is that if um, any film happens to show a penis, it is automatically X-rated. <laughs> and it's, it's just sort of like, what well, that battle? Like, back, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, no. There's a constant battle me. with that.
2: <laughs> uh, just uh, our most recent release, the Prince El Principe, it just came out a couple weeks ago, uh, features full male frontal nudity, and most people don't realize, but the streaming sites, especially iTunes and Amazon and um, Fandango and, and sites like that. Have a strict no penis policy, so uh, not only you know dealing with the gay subject matter, but also the nudity factor. So we have to blur that all out for them, and uh, and or edit it out. So it's it's uh, people are not seeing what the, the filmmaker. You can see it uncut on some of the streaming sites, and definitely on DVD or Blu-ray. But uh, we, right. we always Pardon have this expression. kind of censorship battle. Yeah,
0: yeah. sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, It was me (laughs) and Joe. No. Yeah. It's and which is you know when you watch the film, it is done. I mean, it is not gratuitous at all, and the nudity is so natural that you don't really even think about it. I mean, it's you're so caught up in the story and and the the drama that it's like, oh, yeah, they're, those guys are completely and totally naked. And, um, you know, it's uh, hopefully as we evolve um, as a society that that factor will not be there. Um, it also – I guess my biggest wonderment about that is that prudity around um, the male genitalia How does that spell out with toxic masculinity and a lot of those kind of things that are going on in our society? Uh, Oh, could you? That's a big question.
2: (laughs) Yeah, big Um, question. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know if I can. I can deal with it in film. um, In that, yeah, I'm not really sure how to answer that one.
0: It just seems odd to me that that we have a, a patriarchal society male dominated, that female nudity, in all its form oh. is considered less less of an issue than full male nudity and and maybe it's vulnerability that men are not that there's this protective element that men are not supposed to be that revealed or that. Vulnerable. Yeah, and the, and also that over the years,
2: uh, female nudity was shown right from the nineteen. You can see smokers in the twenties, and all through, uh, especially after the the change in um, censorship in the seventies. There was tons of female nudity, and there still is. But um, male nudity, except for an ass or something like that, was always like forbidden, and. You you do get it in small independent films, but still today, I mean, in Hollywood films or something, it's still kind of you don't go there,
0: right? But it hasn't um, changed much at all. No, it's it's um, it, it's just intriguing as to what what the, what is influencing the values um, and and the the rules and the rigidity around it. Um, but you mentioned your new film um, uh, the Prince tell us more about that where how was that developed and how did that come to you well um, there was it's a Chilean film
2: in Spanish with English subtitles and it's um, the production we got on early because we were told about it by the producer and and these kind of films, we kind of just follow. We read the script or we just uh, hear what, what's happening. And then the moment that um, it was near completion, we got a, a rough cut of the film. And it's like, oh, we've got to have this. And as a matter of fact, if you saw it, they they had to change all the music because they didn't have clearances. So I watched one thing mm. that had this amazing score, and then they couldn't use it. So they had to redo the whole film, you know, just uh, the music soundtrack. But, um, and, uh, so then we we ended up in a bidding war, so I ended up paying more for it than I wanted to, but uh, that happens, and that's good for the filmmaker but um but i I saw it as something uh really great because it's really a story about a, a man who's who a young man who is not free, he's out in the world and he's unhappy, he can't find love, and it takes being imprisoned uh to find both uh, like love acceptance of the sexuality as well as a kind of a community so it, it really hit for me it hit really strong on that kind of reversal like that so and kind of falls flat for Americans but uh, for South Americans, especially Chileans it's got this whole political undercurrent because it's set in the 1970s when uh, Pinochet was uh, took over Chile and so it was this whole political story of the dictatorship there, but that's
0: not important.
2: If you don't know it, you can enjoy the movie without that knowledge.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was, and I'm not as familiar with the, the history there, but I was gathering that the, the, the um, through line there was sort of that they were dealing with kind of a personal oppression. And while there was this external oppression going on politically was that kind of the, yeah. the tie? exactly yes right yeah so yeah I, yeah but yeah, um, i think you i think you can feel that with it it is such a beautifully shot film every it's almost like it's one of those films when you watch it so many of the frames you want to freeze and just look at the picture it's
2: so that's funny you notice that because the director was a set designer on many films, so uh, so he had that training. So I think you already saw it there when you saw it. You know, he 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 can compose things very
0: well. Yeah, you know, was, a lot of his independent intense.
2: films don't really have that. They they go in a room and they that's it. They just film what's there. But he he definitely um, set that whole the whole film up. It, it is beautiful to watch. I mean, even though it's in an oppressive prison.
0: Yeah, it's if I was a painter, I would want to freeze different images and just paint the, the, the different, the different images. They're nice. They're so pronounced and beautiful. Um, The, also the acting in it is um, just so on point. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, a lot of times in in some independent films you have to kind of give it a little bandwidth. It's there. The acting can be a little amateurish or, or, or um off that this was i mean you didn't feel like you were watching actors at all you felt and completely in the environment the two, well the two lead older actors
2: uh one's an argentinian uh, paul's and then the other actor is a chilean uh they're well known especially paul's in argentina i mean uh, in tv shows and in uh, argentinian chilean cinema so and they're straight so and that's what goes back a little bit to what you were saying before about uh here's these straight actors years ago a straight actor it was a kiss of death to to play a gay role thinking oh it's going to ruin your career and here these guys are not only doing it but they do it so uh effectively and emotionally and you just feel it there so uh i don't know if it's i think it's just a general change in the way people approach it now and they don't feel that it's a career ending move to play a gay role well,
0: on, on that note, and a little signaling a little bit, um, what are your thoughts? Cause there seems to be, um, a really strict constructionist, um, mood going on, um, with people playing gay roles and transgender roles and who they are and whether straight people should be paying, playing gay roles, et cetera. What, what are your yeah. thoughts on, on that kind of issue?
2: Well, I'm oddly old school, and I just think it's acting. And uh, I think it was Halle Berry that just pulled out of a role because it required a right. She was supposed to play a transgendered person. Uh, It's acting. The people don't, uh, you know, it's all make believe. So I think that if you're a good actor and you can uh, create a character that's believable to the audience. That's fine. So I, I don't have that political um, the rules there that uh, there should be this or that because uh, it's uh, now that I'm because maybe I'm older and a lot of people don't believe in that. So I'm I'm, I'm not saying that that's the right way, but that's the way I feel.
0: Yeah, um, and Brody may have a, a different opinion on it, but I I I'm kind of middle of the road on it because when. Um, and we're sort of <laughs> veering off on a tangent here a little bit, but we'll get back. Um, like the Halle Berry thing, uh, one thing when she talked about the role, I found how she talked about it um, a little bit off. I mean, not a little bit off. I mean, it was, she was, um, her approach to it and what she described um, to me displayed a lack of understanding of. What a transgender person even was. <clears throat> so I appreciated that she needed to educate herself on that piece of it. I, I guess my and I also am on board with strongly on board vehemently on board that transgender actors and actresses need to be getting roles. They need to be participating in in the scope of of casting in general. And I think it is um a bit of a travesty for the industry as a whole that i cannot name a transgender male well-known actor i can a few a handful of transgender female actresses but um they, even they are, are 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 the handful is 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 a small club and there obviously should be many many more of those but the way I see Hollywood working and how projects get going and stories get told, Um, the right person who's behind it may not fit the identity. And uh, the thing that I feel a little bit tragic on these projects that have been stopped recently is the project is dead. The project isn't happening. And it's a story that is not going to be told. And I feel like, that's a tragedy in itself. Brody, did you have a
1: comment on that? Well, you know, I think that one of the most difficult aspects, at least in terms of looking at the dynamics of film today and filmmaking, uh, and I have quite a few young people that I mentor and that I know really well that are filmmakers, um, most of them are gravitating towards what they feel is more of an authentic voice by having a trans actor or a gay actor, or a lesbian actor, uh, or even a queer uh, identifying person uh, in that role. And and it's and, and I, while I agree with Ray, and I think there are, are certainly very good examples. Um, the the film that uh, caused a stir, Call Me by Your Name, I think was the title a couple of years back, featured two very, you know, straight actors, but yet at the same time. Uh, To Ray's point, they were able to convey, you know, a complete natural, you know, sense uh, for sexuality. Um, So I I think there's got to be kind of a a midpoint here um, that I think is probably going to have to take place uh, between the casting directors, the the directors, the producers, uh, and people who obviously are involved uh, in the production throughout, like such as Ray, for example. Um, I think it's just going to be an evolutionary process and, um, it's just going to take time. I understand because of my position as a political reporter and, you know, the political aspects of the subject matter, and I have been deeply involved in this discussion for quite some time, um, you know, particularly when it comes down to the portrayal of trans women or trans men, uh, that there does need to be a little bit more proactive representation in Hollywood. But I think that we shouldn't look towards mainstream, you know, Hollywood to do it. I think we need to look towards independent filmmakers uh, to be able to, you know, to, to be able to actually execute successfully and, and to bring aboard uh, talent above the line Uh, that not only is representative of who they are, but, you know, who they're portraying on screen. Ray, I don't know if you agree with me, but that's just the way I view it. No, I completely
2: agree. No, I agree, especially with the fact that you're saying that the independent cinema should be on the forefront of that, and that's what they do, um, and that's how you'll never, with queer cinema, you'll never get Hollywood to be groundbreaking. They're always... It's all about Bye. marketing money and stuff like that. So that yeah. they, But they do watch the independent cinema and what the movement's having, what, what's working. And those people are more committed to that representation that you're talking about. So I think that, um, yeah, you're right with that. And I think there's tons of these little films that don't get a lot of, you've got to find them, especially on streaming and on DVD to, to find these smaller films that don't end up on any kind of, broadcast television or anything like that, but that are, um, they're groundbreaking to me in that they're 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 telling different stories and they're using like you're saying, the trans actors in trans roles and things like that, and not uh, having a big you know, American actor playing a woman or something like that, which has worked sometimes right. and sometimes not. I'm just saying <laughs> well, say, well, actually, Kiss of the Spider yeah. Woman wasn't trans. He, he was just a feminine, right. so I'm, I'm I was right. think of that, that right. there was a role that did not work for me. Never believed it for a second.
1: Yeah. A straight actor playing a gay role. Up. Okay. I briefly wanted to follow up uh, for just a second. Uh, go back to um, the the film that, uh, in transparency, uh, your uh, publicist sent it to one of our staff writers at the L.A. Blade. I read his review of it, which intrigued me. Um, I asked for a screener, um, and also with the intent of bringing you personally aboard, because it seemed to be a good time to showcase queer cinema, and you've been at the helm of it for so long. But I wanted to give you some feedback that I think you, as a distributor, and as someone who's intimately involved in queer cinema, would appreciate. I have a very young friend that I've mentored who's a filmmaker in Phoenix, Arizona. He's a Native American. His name is Harrison Bahe. And he has a little outfit called Navajo Joe Films, which is a YouTube channel he runs. And he does a lot of little, you know, little shorts and things. And he's got a serious eye for cinema. This is a, this is a, the front row with the popcorn and the coke at the art house watching film type of kid. So I, I asked him to watch the film. Here's, and I'm going to give you his feedback because I think this is something that you need to hear. Yeah. And this is Harrison to me. You had initially asked me to what I would have done differently with this film, and my honest answer is not a damn thing. I probably would have something to say if this had been someone off of YouTube's production by some up-and-comer, but no, alas, this is a fully-fledged feature-length film with some amazing talent behind it. I think it is quite obvious to sense that I have nothing but fantastic things to say about this film. The Prince is able to blend sensuality with violence. It weaves together a tale of jealousy, love, and death. The rage of passion is ever-present among characters. Our title character murders someone out of jealousy. His wayward mentor murders his nemesis for the love of a cat, and his wayward mentor's former lover murders said cat out of jealousy. A theme of cycles is represented by each of these acts whether it be an act of love, an act of rage, or an act of jealousy. There is no finality of violence. It begets just more violence, and the cycle continues. Much like how our title character takes on the responsibilities of his wayward mentor, starting first as a fragile inmate and ending as a hardened leader of his cell. The prince is an erotic, dark tale, intertwining male narcissism with fragility, and is able to blend the horrific act of rape with some scenes of delicate sensuality. This film won't be for everyone, but damn it, Brody, it must be seen to be experienced. Wow, Paris, I'm jealous. That was so beautifully,
2: <laughs> beautifully written. in
1: that, yeah, that, was, yeah, that was. He's great. a 30-year-old. He's a 30-year-old Native American filmmaker uh, from Phoenix, Arizona, and yeah and and like i said when it comes down to critique i rely on him especially for uh, film noir that is gay or lgbt or queer cinema so i wanted to give you that feedback yeah that's beautifully
0: written that's great and, and 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 particularly accurate i mean that uh um that <laughs> that was one of the best sum ups of the film i think based on having this, witnessed it yeah um it, so Ray, tell us about how how people can see this. Um, we're talking about it, but we've got it <laughs> held at arm's length from our listeners. <laughs> well, uh, it
2: is on a couple of streaming channels. Uh, it's not yet on Amazon, but it is on iTunes, um, and um, and it's available on DVD and, and Blu-ray as well. So, um, and so that can but, You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it at uh, some of the online stores and stuff. So uh, it's kind of – you've got to find it. The problem is the title. The title is called The Prince, so you're going to end up with a 100 listings of Prince and the Pauper and things like that before you actually find this this film. But uh, um, it is out there, so um, it didn't get a theatrical release, but it did – play a lot of film festivals and actually won an award at the Venice Film Festival. Um, so
0: uh, if you No there's a... Is that being smaller state called qualify- Kino? Up? I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, that's another site if people wanted to watch it. Kino Cinema, I think it's called. Kino Cinema. Okay,
0: excellent. Um, so oh, is and then uh, the non
2: version, to... yeah, video yeah, is another site. That's the site that does not... Uh, Censor the films,
0: Vivio. Perfect. Um, yeah. And so, is this That's going to circumvent any possibility of Academy recognition since it didn't get a theatrical um, release?
2: Yeah, we we never uh, of all these films, even um, Latter Days, which is kind of our prestige title, it, it gets forgotten about on any of those on that level, sadly.
0: Ah, that, yeah, that's tragic. Yeah, I know. Um,
2: uh, it still stays a bit underground. You know, it doesn't get, especially maybe because also this film is in Spanish, so uh, it requires people to, to read as well. So that uh, that turns off a certain audience. Um, but so it just stays in a kind of a niche world, which is a shame because although, it, it, we presented it to Latino film festivals, international film festivals, and queer film festivals, thinking it hits really on all three of those.
0: Yeah, and I would hope that 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 has been opened up a little bit. I mean, Parasite, um, you know, broke through, you know, at the at the top amazing. level um, in the film industry, and I can see some some parallels between this and and Parasite. Yes, I mean, Parasite broke all the rules, which is amazing. So yeah, and maybe it yeah. did make people like appreciate
2: now. Uh, hey, I will see a foreign language film because there's so much amazing filmmaking done internationally, not just in the U.S.
0: Yeah, I've always, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, I've always appreciated the foreign depiction of LGBTQ characters almost more than what I've seen, even in independent films in America, because back to your point of um, the American version seem to always not always but in many many cases the character never gets away from just their sexuality like this is supposed to be yes. a typical gay man and the typical gay man is does this whereas a lot of the european and south american films the characters are gay or lesbian or 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 fluid but that aspect of them is not what it's about you get this full character that is unique to the, the person and that's an aspect of it which is to me so much more true to life oh it's and it's true and it's been for
2: decades that way i mean it seems like uh, the international depiction or the representation of gays and lesbians and trans people in those films much more complex much more deep than um the u.s ones i mean the problem is that a lot of where the difference is that um, a lot of the international films get funding from all kinds of sources where in the United States, a s an independent filmmaker, um, the, his friends, family and fools to get the money to make his, his vision of a film. And you'll never get it from the government or from agencies that really support the arts um, to much of an extent. So um, the quality of the films and the, diversity of the characters. I think it's greater internationally than here in the US.
0: Yeah, no. It's been it, that way too. Um, yeah, it it and and I appreciate the the product of that as a result. Um the one other thing I wanted to ask you about was um um the the one project that you've been involved in was writing the um encyclopedia of gay and lesbian film and video. That seems like First of all, a huge undertaking. Second of all, such an important resource and piece of work. Um, how did that all come about, oh. and um, have you updated it?
2: <laughs> I, I could never update it because it, it happened before the tsunami of, of real uh, queer cinema that happened. I mean, I wrote it in 90 – so then – that's a long time ago, and, and you could almost write a whole other two more books – on the films after that um, back then I would like be searching for films and, and finding, you know, like, oh, where I and where, how I started was that I was a in college, they taught me to take notes in movies. So I always did. And I kept the notes and I was uh, crazy about watching films, especially queer films. So I had this already a, a, a lot of knowledge on all that stuff. And then running, I ran a repertory cinema. So we, we showed a lot of those movies. So, um, so I just called that together and then start doing research, and you find a ton of films. And then we found, like, you know, those little characters in a in a film that's just one little character, and he just gives a little bit of something that you realize the character is gay. And I would love that in a film because uh, they had the Hays Code for so long that they couldn't depict a homosexual character, so it had to be done in, in code.
0: Yeah, no, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, you kind of reminded me of the sort of the difference of the involvement because, sort of, back in the day, if um, just as a consumer, you know, if you if, or as a gay consumer, if I heard of something that had a gay character in it or, you know, something like that, you rushed to see it and, you know, yes. it's like hold on to it and, and get a hold of it and everything else. And now I've been so spoiled that everything that comes out is like, you know, like um, I think there is a, there was a follow up to, Love, Simon, I think it's called Love, Victor. Um, and it's there. And it's like, oh, okay, I, I see it there. And I haven't watched it and
2: because it's, there's so much. Exactly. It's before it was like kind of you always sought it out. And it wasn't – you did not see it on television. You didn't see it on mainstream cinema. And so that you had to kind of find these these films. And, and now mainstream media is, you know, the – culture wars you know the gays and lesbians have slipped through the gate there so um they're depicted all over the place and it has lost a little bit of its uh i won't say specialness but the way you kind of it was exciting to me to find these characters right exactly and and now you're right it's like it's you turn on tv and it's on you
0: know they're everywhere (laughs) so well you know what you have what you've done and everything that you've accomplished and and getting the material to the world is is a, absolutely astounding, actually. Um, so I want to thank you very much for that. We're kind of running out of time. I wanted to ask you, what have we not asked you that we should have? Hmm. Well, there's another. I'll, I'll do
2: a little pitch here. There's another film that's coming out, uh, which is really the opposite of The Prince. It's called Benjamin, and um, it comes out in August, and it's a British film. Uh, directed by a gay comedian who's well-known in the U.K., not so much uh, Simon Amstel. And it's a, it, it, why it's different is that it's a gay love story, but the director and the whole pitch is that it's, it's, it's a love story. And you kind of take away that kind of limiting factor of saying gay, and uh, it's, it's a universal story. And um, it's not sexual. It's it, it's tender, romantic, and funny. So it's a it's kind of the opposite side of the coin of the prince. Um, but equally, uh, I mean, it's very entertaining uh, and fun. And um, but it's it's uh, the director wants it sold in a different way. So it's uh, and we're we're going by that. He actually even took out the. He wanted it. To us to take out the word "gay" in the blurb, so he says, "No, it's not a gay romance; it's a romance." And <laughs> interesting approach.
1: Good for, and so, Good for him. Good for yeah, him. Good for him. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and it's, that's it's, the progress I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's what you and I were talking about about where where we've come to. Well, we definitely want you guys back on here when um, Benjamin is available. Um, I know you have a couple of new um, other. Uh, new releases uh, a film called We, uh, one called A Young Man with High Potential, and The Devil's Playground right now. Yes, um, actually, Devil's Playground is
2: a is a classic film um, from 1975 that we re released because it was long out of print. Um, set in a, a seminary in Australia and, and the whole sexual tension there and the, the priests and uh, not so much abuse, but the tension and the problems of, of confronting sexuality with spirituality. So th- that's uh, uh, considered one of the early classics. Um, and We is another one of those films where we had so many problems with censorship. Is about kids being completely amoral and uh, the breakdown of <laughs> they anything goes with them. And I, I thought the film was great and really... Fun and, and shocking in a certain way, but um, we had a tough time selling that because it was a little too much. Even the artwork is too much for most retailers. So we're we're always battling that. And even though it wasn't uh, gay or lesbian, it was just uh, they were straight kids, but we still had a problem in in trying to uh, get that to the
0: audience that would like it. But yeah, it's that's always the, I the mean, game. It's, yeah, it's sort of you ride that line because what you are putting out there is really not film or movies like, like a, the latest Marvel superhero. You're really putting out art disturbing art is unsettling art is thought provoking and art should push your envelope and your boundary. And it it is sort of um, counterintuitive to try to put that through a pipeline. That's got all these rigid boundaries and restrictions and, everything else around your art. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, uh, yes. That's, that's a continuing battle. So, (laughs) yeah, that's why I think what you are doing in many ways is heroic because you're one of the people who is pushing our envelope um, and putting the kind of material in front of us. So um, anyway, we are, we are literally running out of time. I want to thank you so much, for, for everything that you've done, everything you're doing. Um, and um, I highly, highly encourage people to track down um, the prints and find it, watch it, share it, um, you know, talk about it, get it out there. Um, it, is, it is moving, it is effective, um, and, and you definitely mm-hmm. want to see it, um, mm-hmm. if, especially if you, you like progressive and um, important films. Um, Brody, I want to thank you very much for all your work and everything you do. And I want to thank our listeners for being on board uh, with us. Please do tell your friends about the podcast. Please have them subscribe. We will be bringing you new programming every week, um, as is our pleasure to do so. Um, And uh, you can find us right here again next week around this time um, and uh, we will we will be here. So uh, I want to thank you guys for being here. And um awesome. um And uh, we will be watching. We'll see you at the movies, as they used to say. With, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> 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 Ebert. <yeah. laughs> You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.